Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Hi, Sherry. How are Hi, you Teresa. today? <laughs> I am, I've told you I am exhausted and I find it ironic that we are, you know, looking back on a season of embodiment when today I just feel really a little disembodied. <laughs> Fatigue can do that. So yeah. welcome to all the listeners. How are you feeling today? What is it that you're embodying? So take a moment and just pause uh, and decide, how do I feel today? And what am I embodying? We talked a lot about archetypes and patterns. So which one of your many archetypes are you resting in today? And I guess <laughs> let's move on from there. Yeah, you know, we started. So, I, sorry, go ahead. Mm -mm. We started with, with poetry. You know, we brought Corey in and she had started a series on Instagram for re-embody poetry. And I don't know, I've been looking back at and seeing what she's creating since then. And it's really incredible. You know, it, it continues the sense of embodiment, but it is including so much more. Um, it's including, you know, the earth element, literally and figuratively, when she talks about the garden, you know, and we've talked about um, even from Anamaya Kosha, the food body that, you know, what is embodiment? We could, you know, anything that is tangible. And the thing about poetry is that it's not tangible and yet she makes it so a sense of being embodied reading her her things her poetry i was just reading one of her poems this morning and she does such a beautiful job of weaving the body and mind together mm -hmm. um i'm sorry if i don't get this exactly right but she talked about the mind being like being on a king-size bed with a bunch of kids jumping around <laughs> and how all of the different energies are floating through as thoughts and I had to sit back and think wow that is that's the best visual I've ever had about what really goes on in the mind I think I had shared in season one that one of my teachers had said sometimes the mind feels like there's a bunch of drunk monkeys jumping around in there going from tree to tree but when she brought it into her beautiful poetry. Mm -hmm. um, the visual was 
amazing. I was able to uh, embody my thoughts <laughs> through her words. I love that your teacher said drunk monkeys. We just we just learned monkey mind that it was, you know, the branches were the thoughts and the monkey was the mind and, you know, jumping from branch to branch, thought to thought. And, you know, when you talked about reading her thing with the kids jumping on the bed, it's like I'm five little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell out and bumped her head. You know, I just, you know, <laughs> talk about okay. embodiment. <laughs> I have to love it. I think we should put this into every show, Sherry. I love when you get to sing, whether you're chanting <laughs> or just singing for fun. It always brings a certain levity to, <laughs> to our discussion. And I, I kind of <laughs> like it. <laughs> oh my I gosh. think, you know, coming into season three, some of my takeaways, I feel like this uh, episode 24 and episode 23 are kind of look backs. They give us an opportunity or have given me an opportunity to look in the rear view mirror, to reflect. And um, I love reflections. When I go out and, and are taking photographs, I notice in my photo library, there are just so many photos of both paths and reflections. So in preparation for this episode, I started thinking a lot about reflecting and looking back at our experience up till now and helping you, our listeners, thanks again for being here, to do the same. You know, if you've been with us for all of these episodes, we like to think about our takeaways and how we have embodied our different discussions, our different topics, and maybe some alignment or advancements or whatever you want to label it that changes, right? We talked about the heroic journey. So maybe using that as a model for this reflecting back. We've gone on a journey up till this point and you know, I'm going to think of stepping into our next season as I've returned home and it's time to move forward. I'm going to I'm going to depart just a moment on the archetypes and patterns. And if we're looking back and seeing how do we recognize archetypes and patterns, um, something you may not know about me, you may, but I am a TV addict. I, I also am very well read. I love it all. I love a good story. This is one of the reasons I love what we're doing here is, you know, just excavating these stories. So one of my favorite um, legends, one of my favorite myths is the myth of King Arthur. And so in the 90s, I know, Teresa, I've we've talked about this, that I was such a nerd about it. I read all the stories and then I kind of left it and I forgot. But I recently watched Merlin, uh, Merlin with Bradley James and Colin Morgan playing the two lead roles. And just to sort of also say before this, for many years, I was obsessed with the show Supernatural, which were these brothers, Sam and Dean, played by Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles. And they were these demon hunting brothers. Um, and so I'm watching Merlin and I'm just sort of fast forwarding and coming from a legend, from an actual myth. And now they, I'm not going to go too in, far into this, but they changed it around a little bit while still honoring the key points at different ways and different times. But I was at about season four, there are only five seasons, and I had this incredible aha moment where it seemed to me that the Arthur and Merlin characters were the same archetypal um, energies as Sam and Dean. 
They weren't brothers, but they had a fraternal connection. They weren't hunting demons. They were in the, you know, mid- the medieval times, but there was such a strong sense of of something same and it wasn't the same. And so the this idea of archetypes and patterns, how they related to each other, how they, like I said, like very fraternal, but I can't let go of this similarity, even though the landscapes are so different. And it took a while to recognize the pattern. Um, but once I did, I can't stop seeing it. <laughs> so, you know, for all my TV people out there. You know, usually when I, start watching TV, I'm a binger. Mm-hmm. If I start with one thing, I'm going to watch it from the beginning to end. I really like it a whole lot <laughs> when um, the seasons are already finished and they've concluded a show so that I don't have to wait. That's one of my patterns. <laughs> I don't want to have to wait. <laughs> I want to be able to get it when I want it and how I want it. And some of the things that I've been watching lately that I think have do a great job with archetypes and patterns. I love the Umbrella Academy, and mm. that is one that I haven't waited. The new season is coming out soon. But each one of these characters with their superpowers have their own personality, their own archetypes, and how they blend them together. Sometimes when I'm watching it, I almost think that it could easily just be one person with all of these different superpowers (laughs) that um, they call upon when they need uh, to stand up or live up or show up in a certain situation. And I always find it difficult to find out which one I love the best. Have you watched it? I have seen it. And I will say that the guy who plays Luther, the big monkey guy, the big guy, plays Percival in Merlin and plays a very similar archetype. He's the big, strong man. So it's a different role completely, a completely different landscape. And yet he's still embodying... um, Maybe he was typecast. You know, that mm-hmm. typecast is a kind of archetype too. If you are, you know, um, seen as a certain way and they keep casting you in those roles, then maybe you're embodying this particular pattern. Um, but the guy who plays Luther in the Umbrella, Umbrella Academy is Percival. I wish I wasn't so <laughs> so bad at so bad at names because you know that I always stop when I have to remember a name. My mm. students used to say, Teresa, how can you remember every bone in the body and their <laughs> name and the muscles, but you can't remember my name and I'm sitting right in front of you. <laughs> but bringing it back to patterns and archetypes um, and the Umbrella Academy, which is the sister who blows up the world? Do you remember her name? Oh, I don't remember her name and I it, haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, anyway, it's so interesting because her pattern, her archetype was suppressed. Her mm-hmm. her father intentionally, because he was afraid of that archetype, didn't think it could be controlled, mm-hmm. suppressed it with medication. And when it came out, she was just freaked out with it. So it had set up by him suppressing her pattern and making her feel ordinary in relation to all of her siblings, that created one type of pattern um, in how she lived her life, always feeling ordinary and left out as if she didn't belong. And then they introduced her superpower, which was amazing, but she had no idea how to harness it. Mm -hmm. So when she embraced her superpower, 
um, it became harmful, right? It, it manifested in a way that was out of control. And I love how they began to weave in that she was understanding mm -hmm. how that archetype could be expressed within her. In and in terms of reflection, her. she was the harm in that was that she was reflecting her father's fear. He was fearful of her superpower, which is why he suppressed her and made her repress her her abilities. So it, it makes perfect sense that it would be uh, unleashed in a more harmful way because it was it was put down out of fear. Yes. So <laughs> that could lead down a whole rabbit hole. It might have to go into next season, like <laughs> reflecting fears that maybe we don't even know are being communicated with us, like our um, inheritance that we've talked about in the past mm -hmm. season, the inheritance of our personalities and our fears and our patterns and archetypes from our generation, the generational inheritance. I know that we touched upon it, but this idea that you're saying she was reflecting her father's fear comes into uh, a whole other discussion that we can talk about in how we form our patterns by noticing other people's body language or, um, you know, being with our parents and the softer sides of what we notice that maybe we never really have a language around, but our inherited patterns within and ourselves. Then they come through stories as well. So the stories that, um, and opinions and biases that our parents and their parents, because those are passed down too, they begin to feed into the stories we tell about others after the because. And that goes into that next piece that, you know, when we embody these stories, we can't imagine that the person behind us who is, you know, riding our tail isn't doing that because he's just a fucking asshole. You know, maybe there's another whole story there but um, I know my dad was amazing. He was just this great, he was a, a phenomenal human being. And I know that some of my reactions in the car come from having watched him model those behaviors, um, which, you know, my dad was a teacher and so he was always teaching and he always felt that, you know, he would be teaching the other drivers if he, you know, I remember one person got in front of us, uh, made the right on red and we were going straight through the light and he kind of made this big hand movement with his arms where he was gesticulating as if the person in front was looking in the rearview mirror and learning the lesson like oh I probably shouldn't have made that turn and I know I've done the same exact thing thinking oh is if they can just see my reaction then they'll my mother was always like they're not learning anything they don't even see you you know so these two different ways in um, and what I decided was my own bias that you know created these stories that I'm telling after someone else's because. <laughs> Thank you for teaching me about that. So now I don't have to, I recognize when I'm doing it and I can take a step back and, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a, um, a great segue when we're talking about reflecting back and what we took away. You took away the after the because um, as something that we, you learned that was new. I learned an awful lot about my own patterns and archetypes and some of those that go along with the archetype of caregiver. Right? That's my profession. It's always been my profession as a care, caregiver from my time in dentistry as an assistant, making people feel comfortable in the chair 
or as a massage therapist, a mom. There's so many different roles where the caretaker, or I'm sorry, caregiver uh, pattern comes out. And I've noticed as we've gone through that sometimes I am really not so great at turning that caregiver to self. That um, a pattern that has cropped up in all of this inner reflection and all of this research and these great conversations you and I have had both in preparation and recording is to notice that um, maybe I don't always take care of myself in the same way I would take care of others. That I might default to a pattern of going along with rather than saying this is what I want to do. And you know, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm saying that might be because sometimes I have no idea what I really want to do. There are so many <laughs> options out there that maybe it's just, I'll just go along with because I don't have to make a decision, maybe another pattern. Um, so there's no goods or bads, but just starting to notice that um, the things that were once unconscious in this exploration into the koshas and embodiment and, you know, going back to the poetry, our archetypes and patterns is that the lens and the reflection turns inward. And that's quite a journey to, you know, return the focus or return, return is what I meant, return the focus to ourself. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people that might feel the same as I do at times or might share that archetype. I think we all share it at different times in our life and at different phases or seasons or spirals in our life. We step into different patterns and archetypes and there's a lesson that comes from being in that pattern at this time and maybe that's all those um, repetitive, heroic journeys that we go on through the different seasons of our life. And the fact that the one thing we share in common is having this body. You know, however it shows up in the world, we all come into this world in a container of the body. And so, you know, whether we share similar archetypes or not, or share similar patterns or not, we all share this idea that we embody certain archetypes and patterns Um, and this human thing that you know whether if we choose to look in and it's a choice it has to be a choice you know many people go through their lives without ever choosing to go in or without ever choosing to to take a look and see ask the whys or the what's or the how's or any of that Um, which is why I love having these conversations because you know all of the growth that we have it seems to me is necessarily happening in relationship to people and experiences. And unless we allow those relationships to, unless we're not necessarily allowing the relationships to reflect, we are reflecting. But if we choose not to see, that's one thing. But if we choose to look into the water, if we choose to wait for the ripples to still, if we choose to sit and really take in what is being reflected back, then I think we have a real opportunity to grow in profound ways and discover where our physical bodies might be holding, trapping, releasing, whatever it is, these patterns, so that when they happen, and some of them serve us, 
you know, this pattern of caregiving has definitely served me. It served me when my parents were ill. It served me, you know, when my children need me. It serves me in many different ways. And I've also, I'm pretty good at the self-care thing. <laughs> I, I, the, the metaphor of the oxygen in the airplane has always been, um, a, a very sort of valuable and potent one for me. And I'm not afraid to say I need time. I need to take, you know, for a while I was doing one day a week silent retreats in my house. And that's hard mm. when you have three kids and a husband and, you know, trying to manage a household. But I knew that I needed that. And so I took it for myself. But then there are times when that can become selfish. It can become a different pattern. And so to just always be, it's hard to always be present, but if we can find presence then we can we can work with we can take a look and you know that reminded me of a couple of different things you know a, a common thing we hear in yoga is like oh if what no longer serves you right but we have to know what no longer serves us and what is serving us so that's where that reflection that sitting with it the mindfulness practices embodying and giving ourselves that space to feel so that we know what is and isn't serving us because we take the time to sit with it or allow ourselves to feel without labeling emotions. Oh, that's a good one. I'll feel that one. That's a bad one. I won't feel that one. We create space for everything to find the patterns that serve and those that do not. And you mentioned being selfish and that reminded me of the yin training that um, I hosted and you were in there, but so was Andy Glickman, shout out to Andy. Hi Andy. And he kind of rephrased that in a way that I really liked and I have adopted. And he said, instead of it being selfish, it's centered in self. And anytime I start to feel like maybe I'm taking too much time for myself or I'm not looking at others, I was like, you know, now I remember that airplane thing and Andy Glick Glickman and being centered in self is a great place to operate from, to be embodied and know who I am, how I feel and how I want to show up in the world is really oh. um, a priority that um, is rising to the surface. There's no question about that. I think there's a different feeling about centering in self and self-care. And um, in using the word selfish, sometimes that can exclude the world around and become a detriment to the people that matter in your world. And that's what I was sort of thinking about being selfish when it becomes too much about me where there's like the narcissism begins to feel different. It, it's just a different feeling like self-care centered in self. Yeah, fuck yeah. And then to be aware when you know, it's time to emerge when it's time to, you know, um, check out where that boundary is. And maybe it's time to include others, include more energy, because I know for myself, um, you know, I the value judgment on emotions, good, bad, you know, labeling that has never served me. But what has served me is identifying what it is that I'm feeling in a moment. You know, if what I'm feeling is sadness, but it's being expressed as anger, then that distinction is important mm -hmm. to know. So labeling 
without value judgment, without saying good, bad, whatever that is, but to really be able to understand what it is that's going on so that when it's expressed, it's expressed from a place of authenticity and truth. Um, and if there is anger, that's okay too. Just know what it is. Um, and so that's where I find that kind of contemplation valuable. Yeah, that's a, brought so much clarity to, you know, the feeling and then how we're expressing what's going on. And for me, I know that sometimes when I'm frustrated, frustration has manifested as anger or my voice starting to rise and my, and my, you know, getting all like flustered about it. And that leads to something that is, is either anger or comes out expressed as anger. And that was a big awareness that um, I had as well as when I get frustrated and I'm confused, um, I sound angry and, uh, and maybe it does lead to anger, but the anger is probably more about my confusion than it is to the person who is unfortunately the receiver in that scenario. So if you're one of them and you're listening, sorry. <laughs> right. And my exhaustion right now may come, you know, may be expressed as spaciness or not quite as focused or, you know, and then that makes me feel like over energized in a different way because I'm overcompensating for that fatigue. And um, and that doesn't serve anyone. So we are talking about patterns. And um, so where do these patterns live? You said we all have this vessel, we all have a body that we live in. It's the thing that we have in common. But some of our patterns might be written into something that I like to call, and others, our fabric of form. Our fascial body, the thing that connects every little cell in the body. And what I really love about it is that it is non-biased. I think I've said that before. If we have a pattern, the body is going to try and help us find homeostasis. It's going to try and help us to perform regardless of what that pattern is. So maybe we write it into, I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And when we see each other, the ears are hiked, uh, the shoulders, sorry, are hiked up to the ears or so many other patterns. For instance, maybe we had a leg injury and developed a limp. You know, it can be very physical in Anamaya Kosha. We had a leg injury, we developed a limp. And now that's our new pattern of walking. Maybe as that pattern progresses, we find out, hey, I have a little low back pain. I wonder where that came from. I never really hurt my back. But this pattern, has been taught to understand this new movement pattern and to help everything else in the body adjust. So spoiler alert, maybe we'll have just uh, a tiny bit more anatomy next time. And, you know, not to abandon my TV addictness, um, when we were talking about doing this, I, we've both watched The Good Place. And if you haven't watched The Good Place, watch The Good Place. It's on Netflix. Awesome, awesome show. 
um, but they're architects of the good place. And so as we move into season three, we're going to be using the fascia as a paradigm for working in a community to what it is. You know, we're always saying our aim is to connect the individual to the collective. And from my understanding from Teresa, this fascia not only wraps the entire body, but every organ, every bone, every muscle fiber. So it it actually allows us to celebrate the individual pieces wrapped inside us as well as the collective body. So we are going to be architects of the holistic place. As we move into season three, we're going to, you know, build on the koshas, build on the sense of embodiment so that as we are, as we create this neighborhood, this neighborhood of the body, as we begin to um, inspect it a little bit more closely, um, we're going to begin with this this idea of fascia. And Teresa is much more, um, uh, she understands this, this system much better than I do. Um, and when she talks about it, it always feels like an incredible model for how we can live in a community while not um, compromising our own individual uniqueness. Yeah, the fascial qualities, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I am having fun with fascia and blending the hard science and the soft science. Um, I think it l creates a beautiful foundation to do both. Some of the things that we'll talk about is, yes, it does wrap every single thing in the body. But the other thing that it does is it separates everything in the body from its neighbor, allowing for this collectiveness, but leaving space for individuality, right? It gives us an a, a opportunity to talk pretty superficially, but also dive deep into the subjects that we want to address. It is abundantly filled with communicating receptors and, you know, we could all use to learn to communicate just a little bit more effectively and to listen deeply. And fascia helps us to do that. Uh, it holds and hides our secrets and it releases them when we are ready. The stories the body holds and the story the bodies tell. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. <laughs>